Welcome to CBuzz, Columbus's first business-focused podcast presented by the Columbus Chamber of Commerce and Capital University. Our award-winning show brings you inspiring stories of wisdom and ambition as we speak with leaders from our region's business community. I'm Michaela Hunt, brand journalist and host of CBuzz. And for today's episode, we're doing something a little bit different. We will be sharing an exclusive peek into the Chamber's CEO Insights series. You're about to hear from Greg Hubert, founder and president of Crimson Cup Coffee and Tea, who was interviewed by Columbus Chamber President and CEO Don DePero. Greg left a high-profile job in Chicago after graduating from Harvard University to move home to Ohio and start his coffee business. Today, Crimson Cup Coffee and Tea is considered one of the country's top roasters. We hope you enjoy this inspiring story of entrepreneurship. And if you're interested in attending one of the Chamber's future CEO insights programs, be sure to visit columbus.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Good morning, Don. How are you? Wonderful. That's great. How are you doing? Super. Um, uh, Greg is typically very, very modest about uh, uh, being a Harvard uh, graduate, but of course that's where Crimson comes from. The Harvard Crimson, right? Crimson Partially, Park. yeah, that's exactly right. We, and, the other part <clears throat> is from the coffee cherry. So when the coffee cherry gets a bright red or crimson color, typically when it's harvested, so. That's great. Yeah. But not only, you know, you think Harvard University and everything, but uh, Greg uh, played baseball and football there. And for any of you that played a college sport or have children who played college sports, you know, one sport is pretty incredible to, but to, uh, well, thank goodness I did. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gotten in. Not a chance. <laughs> Not a chance. Not a chance. Okay. After that build-up, you had to bring out. No, that, 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 that's great. That's great. So, congratulations. And I know you're still coaching. We'll talk about that maybe a, mm-hmm. a, a little bit. So, you founded Crimson Cup Coffee and Tea in uh, 1991. Uh, so, about 28 years ago, if my math is right. Pretty soon it'll be That's correct. 30th anniversary, and right here in your hometown of Columbus, mm-hmm. and you're an Arlington guy, Upper Arlington, right? And uh, kids go to school there. But your your path to entrepreneurship wasn't exactly a conventional one. Um, uh, you graduated from Harvard, as we said, with a degree in economics, so it wasn't sports management or anything like that. You graduated with economics, and uh, you moved to Chicago to work in software. Mm-hmm. To, to work in the computer software industry. So how did you make that quantum leap from being, a, you know, a, a uh, Harvard grad, an economics major, athlete, and you wanted to become a coffee roaster? Yeah. So, uh, well, first, thanks for, for being here. I appreciate you taking time and, and being here. And uh, the sponsors, thank you so much. And the Chamber, it's uh, wonderful, doing wonderful things for, for businesses here in Columbus. And if I can, I'd like to say uh, we have our franchisees in here from Bangladesh. So we have four stores in Bangladesh, and they happen to be here just while I'm speaking. So if there might be something that we can say here. So if we can... So, uh, so they're in here for training. And if you'd want to uh, do something, learn a new word today, maybe uh, it's good morning. So it's shoe, fruit, pot, shoe, fruit, pot. Good morning. So thanks for being here. Really, it's great to have. You. They are wonderful. Uh, 
fantastic hospitality in Bangladesh. So if you do go there, uh, and you'll find a Crimson Cup store because it's like a Times Square Crimson Cup sign in one of the stores. It's unbelievable. And they just do a fantastic job of hospitality there. So, um, but... Uh, I don't know if any other Columbus-based companies could say they have franchises in Bangladesh, so that's pretty cool. Is there is. a Wendy's there or anything? Uh, there a Wendy's there? There's Bangladesh? a, there's a no? Cold, Cold Stone Creamery there. There's a couple other things there, right? Yeah. Well, that's great. So, but uh, more and more is coming there, I'm for sure. Uh, but as far Making as that uh, quantum leap. so quantum leap, Don, from uh, <laughs> to because uh, I want it's so ignoring so my after, questions. After graduation, I just started. He's ignoring my questions already. So. <laughs> that's the way Don and I work. Uh, but uh, so. Yeah, going to um, the Midwest, that's where I wanted to get back to. Uh, I love Boston. Boston's an unbelievable, great city. Uh, go back there about every year. But uh, going, wanted to get back to the Midwest. And, you know, computer software, high tech was certainly one of those options, finance. Uh, and so those were kind of some of the options that I had. So computer software, uh, the whole idea was is they recruited about 30 um, Ivy League athletes to be the next sales force for this computer software company, about a $250 million company. And so when I got there, my plan was to go from Chicago, love that, and I could stay there for a while, but there's opportunities in other places too. So maybe, you know, go someplace else on the West Coast. But what happened was a recession. It kind of crushed uh, the opportunities for us there. They let about 15 of the, of the 30 go. Uh, and uh, but I stayed. Uh, they they kept me there to do a little inside uh, sales. Um, and but I just started asking questions around the company, kind of like getting an idea because really this was my first opportunity uh, outside to be in a company. Just started asking people like, why are you here? What do you what do you do here? And so just asking people a whole bunch of different um, questions. And, and I kind of came to the conclusion that um, there was probably about 60% of the people, maybe more, that re really what I'd call disengaged at work. They weren't excited to be there. They're really talking. When we would talk, we'd talk about the weekend or what they're doing that night and really not kind of what they're doing. We did a little bit. So I was like, man, that's uh, not exciting. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> And uh, so that was one of the things where I said, geez, you know, maybe we could, maybe there's a better way to do this. Maybe it, it can work better. So that's one of the uh, things that got me going on what else would I want to do. So maybe starting a business and having an opportunity where people coming to work could be excited, could be engaged with what it is that they were doing. So that was one of the pieces. The other piece was uh, something my dad, um, uh, you know, Early on in the 80s, whatever, he, he, he wanted me to try different things because he grew up in a very small town in Kansas, a uh, farming town in Kansas. And he said, you know, I wanted to try different things because we didn't have the opportunity to try a bunch of different things. So in the 80s, he came to me and said, hey, or try this scotch. And I said, Dad, I don't, I don't like scotch. You know, that's not, I, you know, it's not what I like. He goes, no, try it. Okay. So I tried it. It was a, a single malt scotch, 18-year-old Abelor, uh, sherry cask, and I was like, man, this really tastes good. You know, this is awesome. And then about a year later, he goes, you know, try this coffee. This coffee's really good. Dad, I had coffee. I don't like coffee. It's awful tasting. He goes, no, 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 you, you know, try this. this. This is really good. So I did, and I was like, man, that's, 
that's really good because back in that time, the thought process really was, I'm going to have coffee for caffeine, and that's what coffee's good for. Um, and then I, I, I got introduced to that. So when I started looking uh, and where I wanted to be, um, of course, I grew up here. Family was still here. Uh, I, I also figured, well, if I, it was an economic decision too. If I moved back here and failed, well, I could always do something else. And my mom's a pretty good cook, quite frankly. So, <laughs> uh, so I, I, I knew that moving. You weren't going to miss a meal. I wasn't going to miss a meal. Yeah, that's and, it's and important. So moving, especially for Italian guys, that's really important. So. <laughs> moving, moving in with them, um, and then starting the business was. Uh, was fantastic because I was away for a little while. My sister is 12 years younger, whatever, got to know her a little bit more. But also also Columbus, right? So Columbus, I, I really got funny stares uh, when I told people that I was getting out of high tech and going into coffee. <laughs> that was number one. And number two was I was moving back to Columbus. And I said, well, Columbus is going to be great. I mean, it's going to be great. There's no question about it. And uh, so thankfully, you know, kind of, and the coffee end too, I said, I bet you people will be more like me and love coffee for the taste and not just for the caffeine. So those are kind of the reasons why I moved back to Columbus and started to get out of high tech. Columbus is a strong startup marketplace and strong startup community. Uh, do you try to innovate here before you take ideas or new products? And we'll talk about the cold brew that you're sipping on too, which is yeah, really so pop has become. Thank you for sending those over to the chamber. They went very quickly, as a matter of fact. Your cold brews, but um, do you try to test here? I know you have the innovation lab, and we'll talk about that a little bit before you go out to uh, some of your other franchisees. We do. So for whatever reason, I started in in the wholesale operations, which is roasting and then uh, supplying. Um, college universities, especially grocers, business and industry, uh, you know, coffee houses, that type of thing all over. And, um, you know, so what we have to do, we supply them with basically just about everything a coffee house once needs. So we started innovating on products uh, back in uh, probably the 90s. So one of our main products that, that we first started out on is our frozen because frozen drinks were just uh, hitting the market probably like in like 98, 99. Hmm. So we needed something that could make a great frozen drink. So got to work on that. And then, so that's a really, we call it Polar powder, um, and and it's it's uh, we sell that product particularly all over, and and that's a really great product for us. So we've innovated on other things too, um, and that's something that we found we're really really good at the formulation and or the the roasting aspect, because the keys to roasting is certainly finding great coffee, having farmers that you know can make great coffee. Then the other piece of that is really cooking it, or in the coffee business we we call it roasting. So how can you roast or cook coffee to um, receive all these awards like we have? I mean, we've, we've done very well in the business, and how we do that is really cooking it. We're really good at cooking coffee, roasting it, and that affects the taste profile. So those are the things from the innovation standpoint. Of course, this, uh, our RTD, that's, that's, that's it's going to be a lot of fun uh, to do uh, taste-wise. Um, and so there, there's a, a lot of things from the innovation side. Uh, the reason why I opened up our first retail store in Clintonville 
was because I wanted to test and try things there. It really wasn't looking at it from growing how many retail stores could we have, because really I wanted to take care of our customers. So if we were going to make a mistake, I wanted to make it on us mm -hmm. and not our customers. So you started roasting, which you've been talking about a little bit, in a 1,200-square-foot office with a single coffee roaster. And uh, uh, we've talked about this before. I think it was blue in color. It was a That's blue. That's Hansel. Yeah, uh, and uh, we, have not, two, we have two. Not exactly Harvard Crimson, right? No. Uh, uh, but w w what was your approach to really, you know, diving into, uh, you know, immersing yourself into the the roasting process and trying to, you know, develop your own technologies and doing things maybe a little bit differently from how they were done traditionally? And and we can talk about the innovation lab a little bit for those of you who've uh, been there. But it's a really cool place. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, innovation on all sides. So, innovation in terms of uh, coffee and how we roast, I mean, that's changed quite a bit. So, right now, it's uh, we have computer program on our roaster and making sure we do the curve. It's really about time, temperature is really what it's about. So, it can get pretty in-depth to what kind of flavors that we want to draw out of coffee. And, and, and by the way, I mean, certainly everybody here is invited to our innovation lab. It's pretty cool if you like coffee and tea. It's, uh, it's one of, uh, it, when we built it, it was one of 20 in the United States. So, we're called a, a premium specialty coffee association facility, which means that we're set up properly and we have trainers who can train at the highest level of coffee. So, it's pretty cool. Now, I think there's maybe 50 in the, in the country, innovation labs. That's great. Greg, how can we translate some of this wisdom and innovation for other entrepreneurs, small business owners, would-be entrepreneurs who might be with us this morning? I mean, it, it sounds like you've, a lot of your success has also come from, you know, trial and error and doing things over and over and, and innovation. What advice do you have for a startup? I think for a startup, if they're looking to scale and grow, one of the things that's helped us is systematize. So systematize the business. So one of our market segments that we call is seven steps. Seven steps are whoever wants to open up a coffee house in the United States. So again, these are stuff that I learned in the 90s that we didn't want to work with everybody. The book that I wrote uh, called The Seven Steps of Success, How to Succeed in Specialty Coffee, is really should scare people. Uh, we want, I, want to, I wrote it to scare people so that they wouldn't get into business because, <laughs> you know, some people shouldn't be in business, you know, and I would rather have them save their 401k, their $200,000 or whatever they're putting in because, you know, it's a time investment and a capital investment. And if I could save somebody from jumping into something, because I think everybody knows the the stats, right? The stats. How many small businesses fail? I mean, I heard that from my banks way back when, when I was trying to get loans. That's another story. But um, uh, so everybody knows the numbers, and the numbers aren't great. You have to be crazy to get into business, right? Why would you do that? You know, 50% of the businesses fail within the first year, 80%, blah, 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 blah. So the whole idea for us was why would we want to do that economically, get into business with somebody who's going to fail. And that's where, you know, one of my passions is teaching, coaching. So that's where we kind of overlap the teaching and coaching onto small business owners. 
And then we said, okay, well, we can't have everybody get into it. So then we learned ways that we could, you know, filter people out who shouldn't be in business. And so what can, and then we said, okay, how can we um, make sure they're successful? So that's when we started working on their grassroots marketing, uh, anniversary promotions, how they want to do their menu and all that. And then we started, okay, so what happens after that? Continued ongoing training, which is part of the reasons for our innovation lab, because they needed that to continue on and continue to be successful. So we've kind of systematized it in a way that what, it, what was the end? So what did we want to have happen at the end? We wanted successful, happy entrepreneurs, and uh, that's what we wanted. So our system, the way we set it up, uh, yields that. And uh, it was just that we had a celebration for some of our independent coffee houses in, and that's exactly what it was. I mean, they were super thankful and gracious that they found us. I mean... That's pretty cool, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And and it was more a kind, it was a love fest more than, you know than it wasn't like hey do this you know because the way I set it up is the way I set up Crimson Cup since we don't charge franchise we're not a franchise we have to produce in other words we can't charge more for our coffee than others right and we can because of our quality and how we bring it in that type of thing but as a whole we can't charge any more we they're not holding us at all I mean they could leave. Anytime for any reason. Um, and so we had to make sure, and I did it on purpose because I wanted our feet to the fire. In other words, we have to get better and better and better every day. And if we don't, we, there won't be any crimson. So how many, you, you own the, uh, the store on Lane Avenue. How many do you directly own and how many, what can we call them, affiliate franchises do you uh, supply to? So we have over a few hundred throughout 37 states, independent coffee house owners. Uh, we have uh, uh, four, soon to be five, maybe six. Uh, that's kind of what I'm working on now is seeing retail. Crimson Cup owned and operated retail stores. How can we, um, uh, how can we get more people engaged is what I would say. So we want people to get engaged with our brand uh, from certainly from the quality standpoint and also from, look, you, you, you can give, you know, you can be part of the whole thing in terms of helping, impacting farming communities. What were your biggest obstacles? What do you say were your biggest obstacles? What have been your big, biggest obstacles? And, and, you know, did you have those moments when you woke up at, of course, three in the morning uh, when you thought it seems impossible? Obstacles. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> well, it depends on the time frame. So when I first came to Columbus, the biggest thing was nobody knew what great coffee was. Uh, nobody had a clue. I mean, it, and there weren't coffee houses around. So I would call on everybody and anybody who'd listen, basically. And... Um, trying to get them into, you know, there is different coffee other than the stuff that it is that you're drinking. And they had really no idea. So the first thing was, okay, how do I get this product, which they have no idea, into their, into their place? Um, and, and, and then the next obstacle was price, because it was really a pricing game. You know, going into offices, uh, the office manager typically was, her objective was to cut costs. So how could I sell something that nobody knew about 
and that was uh, cost-wise, um, it's higher. I mean, it just is. Uh, and so those were the major obstacles, and that was one of the things where, uh, you know, I'm like, man, this is really tough. And my dad is farming community. He he, he didn't really want to hear that. <laughs> so he said, well, he quit. I said, well, I, I don't want to. So well, then stop, stop whining. <laughs> and that was it. So, okay, I'll stop whining. And, and you know. You employ 75 or so? Uh, yeah, there's uh, 75 directly. full. So how time. do you control costs without affecting the product? I think I think from uh, the, the cost standpoint, um, you know, we, we there's so many different 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 ways to do it, right? But on, on the cost side, um, you know, obviously the operations team can can take care of what it is that they're doing. They got to make sure hot food's hot, cold food's cold. Make sure people order it. They get it on time and all those types of things, so we don't lose customers. Losing customers is bad, so we'll make sure we do everything we possibly can there. From the cost standpoint, uh, what we look at, what we what we have to do, we have to work with our suppliers too to make sure that they're winning and also our customers are winning. So we look at it from the standpoint of okay. We have to be a, a we want to be a value to our customers, and where I'm getting this from is small business is tough, right? So we need to give a leg up to our small businesses any way, shape, or form that we can. One of those is certainly from the price perspective. So, for instance, uh, so syrups. We worked with a uh, finding another syrup company. Actually, they found us. And they're in here in Ohio, and they came to us and said, "Here, you know, we have wonderful syrups. Um, you know, use those, and they're and they're less expensive too." And I said, "Well, you know, we don't really change unless it's as good or better. We'll talk about price later." So we tried their syrups, and I called the president up. I said, "They're awful." <laughs> he goes, "Use what?" I said, "Well, they're, they're no good. You know, we can't use them." And there's silence on the other end of the phone. He's like, uh, well, um, will you help us formulate it? I said, yeah, we'll do that. So we formulated those syrups. And these are what you would flavor your yeah, coffee Yeah, flavor like vanilla so. latte or something like that. So we worked with them. And in return for that, of course, we got a lower price, in which we passed along to our customer. So we always look at it, I always look at it through the lens of, okay, what are small businesses going to, to do? With, what's going to give them a leg up? So in this particular case, they got a better tasting syrup because we're really good formulators and they got a lower price than they can get on the marketplace anywhere. Polar powder is the same way. So stuff that we do there, you know, we've been, so the different ingredients that somebody puts in, we have to have a value and that just comes from, you know, we have to uh, give small businesses every chance they can to succeed. Where do you think, and I don't want you to give away any trade secrets, but where are your greatest opportunities? I know you really enjoy colleges and universities. Uh, we had our big retail summit last week at Otterbein, and that's one of your, uh, one of your customers there at Otterbein. And thank you, uh, Greg donated all the coffee for our retail summit. You donated all the coffee for our annual meeting. So I want to thank you for that too. That was $6,000 worth of coffee, which really helped the chamber that morning. Um, why colleges and universities? Why that segment? Well, I think uh, students. So um, one, of the, one of the things that I've noticed probably after the crash is the idea that um, 
the younger generation is searching for good companies, uh, I think is, is really interesting. And that's where I'd kind of peg it, you know, because I think we were, and, and what's going on, what's happening. So we're getting a lot more interest in wanting people wanting to come down to Crimson Cup to see our innovation lab, see the roasting and all that. That didn't happen. Uh, before that time, in my opinion. It, I, I was really trying to get people to come down, but it really wasn't something that most were interested in, number one. Number two, the whole idea about, you know, hearing about uh, different types of words for it, but like conscious capitalism, social entrepreneurism, those types of things are fairly recent. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's really cool to see that the younger generation is, is really taking up on that. And uh, because I think it, it will make a huge difference. And I think that it's kind of, from, from my perspective, kind of circling back to us, because we've always been who we are, you know? Mm -hmm. and, so you were and socially so, conscious before it really became one of the hot buttons of, the, of our time. I mean, it's and, just, just who we are, what we do, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, that's great, that's great. Um, you've talked about the seven steps to success. Uh, and, and that teaches independent coffee houses how to be successful. Uh, and again, as you've said repeatedly, you don't charge for these services. Can we, is there, I think we have a few minutes, can you run through those rather quickly? Uh, I'm sure you've got them committed to memory. But uh, uh, a, a, as a lesson for maybe some of our guests this morning, uh, or are they really specific, or do we have to buy your book? <laughs> no. no. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's expensive. You couldn't afford it, Todd. Yeah, I get you. Uh, the, uh, so you do know me, do you? <laughs> so just, just looking at it from a book perspective, just what are the factors to, to success? So finding, finding the right location. So we'll assist our, our, our customers with that. Um, you know, making sure they're set up properly, making sure they have the right equipment and products. Grassroots marketing is something that we found that our small business really needs some work on because business owners will go in and concentrate inside their store instead of outside their store. So community outreach, very important. And then, you know, customer experience. So we teach and train that too. Uh, and cleanliness, those types of things. Basic. How many is that? Not, not, it's, not brain surgery. No, I mean, uh, the, the book is not meant to be uh, earth-shattering, never mm -hmm. was meant to be. It's really just what I found is the simplest things are the off, most often overlooked. Mm 